Hi, this is Terry Farrell, and you are listening to Women at Warp. And welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With me this week is Sue. Hi, everybody. And Jera. A.K.A. the person you once knew as Curzon Hodge. <laughs> that was lifetimes ago, Jera. Are you still on that high horse? Yes. You can't get me off it. I, I made an oath. It's true. If I had a horse that high, I'd be on it all the time, personally. Curzon, my old friend. <laughs> Jera, my old friend. Sue, I'm the godmother of your son. <laughs> and by your son, I mean your cat. <laughs> and I'm the albino living at a Frank Lloyd Wright house in the woods. <laughs> Before we get into our episode today, just a little bit of housekeeping. We want to remind you our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 a month and get awesome rewards. From, say, thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries, which I love that we get to do very much. You can visit us at www.patreon.com slash womenatwarp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. Now this week, uh, in case you haven't guessed, our topic is the Deep Space Nine episode, Blood Oath. Can anyone give us a summary of the episode or just want to tell us a little bit about it? Sure, I can. So in this episode, three of our favorite original series Klingons, Kang, Koloth, and Kor, come to Deep Space Nine because they made a blood oath with Curzon Dax to avenge the death of their sons by killing a Klingon called the Albino. And there is an issue over whether Jadzia can and should continue Curzon's blood oath. And, but she decides it's really important to her to do so and goes off and fights with them. That's that's the Cole's notes. It's a pretty fun episode, gotta tell ya. Watching Dax cling on it up with these three original series Klingons, it just is a good time. So I have a question mm-hmm. for for you, the panel. When you first saw this episode, did you realize that these were the same Klingons as TOS? I had no idea. I definitely did not. I didn't. I I honestly after a few minutes into it was like, Oh, these guys seem fun. I don't know whether if it it's how the characters are presented or how the episode was written or the fact that these dudes were really comfortable in their roles. But I just kind of liked them. And it wasn't until after I'd finished the entire season and was watching the special features on the DVD that I was like, oh my god, it's those guys! (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I first saw this episode before I had really watched much original series at all because I kind of started with Next Generation and then watched DS9 as it was airing. Um... I can't remember. I mean, I'm pretty sure at the time I didn't really recognize them. And I th- I think it's kind of a strength that DS9 doesn't beat you over the head with it, that the story, I think, still stands on its own without knowing who they are. But uh, I know that when I rewatched it 
uh, sort of more recently, the the one I found hardest to recognize was Koloth, who's you know best known from the the Trouble with Tribbles, mm-hmm. which is uh, William played by William Campbell. And I found that they all look obviously quite a bit different because of the more modernized Klingon makeup and age. Mm-hmm. But I f- I think that his character was also not as easy to recognize because there isn't as much depth to the character in The Trouble with Tribbles as there is to Kang and Kor in Errand of Mercy and uh, Day of the Dove. The Trouble with Tribbles has very little going for it depth-wise, aside (laughs) from the literal depth of the pile of Tribbles that you see someone get buried in. (laughs) So they could only add on, really. Not to disparage it. I really wish that Andy were able to join us for this episode because I know, I think she's the only one of us who had watched all of TOS before watching Deep Space Nine and watched both fully as an adult. You know, not mm-hmm. like, I'm 14 and watching Deep Space Nine, you know? <laughs> she does also have a fine appreciation for a lady with a blade. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which we do get to see a fair amount of, which is pretty, again, pretty awesome. There's so much great about this episode. I think, you know, as someone who cherishes every scene where Dax and Kira get friend moments, mm-hmm. they have a really lovely moment where Dax is, she's feeling torn because she feels this loyalty to join the Klingons based on her blood oath, but also fear that killing someone would change her. So she asks Kira about Kira's experience and Kira sort of realizes like something's wrong. You might actually be thinking about killing someone. And I just, I thought that that was a really well done scene that showed Dax's internal struggle, but also the uh, connection between those characters. There were several people on our Facebook page who mentioned that scene as their favorite of the episode. And that so much of the depth of it really comes from Kira. And let's Mm -hmm. see, Aaron said, Kira's reaction of when you take a life, you you lose part of yours and you can never get it back is, I think, the real moral of the story. Kira knows exactly what it means to be a killer, a murderer. She knows it sincerely and massive props to Nana Visitor for not overplaying it. The concern on Kira's face when she realized that Dax is serious is telling and needs real attention. Absolutely. I think that's part of the importance of Kira's role in this episode as a foil to Dax is the fact that we don't see her go into it like, yeah, sure, just go, knock him out, have a good time there, champ, because that's, I think a lesser writer would have expected that from Kira given her past, but to have it be something that Kira actually talks over with Dax brings so much more to both the conversation and the episode in general. Yeah, we know what mm-hmm. Kira, well, we know some of what Kira's done. We have an inkling. Yeah, but there's no, like, yeah, I killed this many and I did this. And then, like, she knew that she was, in the end, fighting for what was right. But she still was changed each time she had to take a life. She's under mm-hmm. no illusions that she is got completely clean hands. But at the same time, there's a moral compass at work. Mm-hmm. It was interesting, though, the point you raised, Sue, about like not realizing they were the TOS Klingons, because rewatching this, it struck me that the credits, the opening credits come in, and the only thing that's happened to that point is that Odo has put Kor, who's super drunk, mm-hmm. and uh, in a holding cell, and Koloth comes and tries to get him out, and Kor refuses to go with him, and Odo kind of sighs, and then it's opening credits, which normally you like want there to be a bigger moment of excitement or like a 
you know, a hook at that point. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if it was really that big of a hook if you didn't know that, like, oh, it's Corin Koloth. It was a pretty dull stinger if you weren't aware of it. I don't know. I think the Klingon afternoon was pretty funny, and there were some epic Odo eye rolls in there. <laughs> yeah, but the talk of the Klingon afternoon didn't happen until after the credits. Yeah, that's true. I'm just imagining Klingon day afternoon now, and it sounds amazing. I just, I want to make that part of my vocabulary. Yeah. Like, how's your day going? Oh, I had a Klingon afternoon. Yeah. I do love when uh, Dax realizes that Cora is in the cell and busts him out, and he just gives her the biggest hug when he yeah. realizes she's hers on. It's so cute. I want a core hug. Pretty fantastic, though. I mean, I know it is yeah. not at all intentional to be, like, super trans-inclusive. Mm-hmm. But it kind of is like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm Jadzia now. Oh, you're Jadzia. Like, just without missing a beat. He's like, oh, yeah, you're still you. No problem. From that perspective, that that really, that makes this a pretty great episode as far as. Yeah, there's even, I think there's even a line where he says, like, the, the person didn't change or the mm-hmm. soul didn't change later in the yeah. episode. Yeah, and even, um, I mean, so he does try to kiss her and, like, note that she's basically yeah. a, a beautiful woman now. But I feel like all all of their objections to thinking that she um, shouldn't go on the mission, none of them is because you're a woman. Yeah. Like, even Koloth, who thinks, you know, you can't possibly be as good of a fighter as Curzon does, he, he doesn't, like, he isn't saying out there because you're a woman now. Uh-huh. Right, that felt much more, like, because you're 25. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it might be subtext, um, and if so, I think that that's okay, because I think that it's super powerful to see this young woman be underestimated by three older warriors and basically manage to overcome all of those barriers and, like, lead their mission, basically. That and seeing Dax just kind of slide into the role of being one of the guys with, with these freaking Klingons, man, it's great! Mm-hmm. So yeah, we got like, got Kor, who's like accepting, but is maybe seems to have fallen a bit from his previous power. Mm-hmm. You got Koloth, who's kind of cranky. And uh, you got Kang, who um, I think is, I mean, a, a really powerfully written character in this episode as this uh, man who's grappling with, you know, not just a concern about her abilities or, but this feeling that, well, you know, if you're not Curzon, I can't let you die for us. That's part of the beauty of a long spanning franchise like Star Trek, when you can take someone who is just kind of a bit player in an episode for just the big barroom brawl scene. And then like 20 or 30 years later, revisit that character and totally flesh them out like that. That is so cool that you can do it. Mm-hmm. We also get – it gives us a little bit more information about the lifespan of Klingons. Yeah. Yep. As well. But we also get the little tidbit of information where they say that a new host of a symbiote is not required to fulfill the commitments of any of the previous hosts. Like, where was that information mm-hmm. in the episode Dax? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they're like, uh, given that court precedent. <laughs> That's also part of the problem with a long-spanning franchise like Star Trek. There's a lot of making it up as you go along, yeah. 
We just decided this a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was a little. I mean, I think that that makes more sense than the episode Dex, uh, which was, I think, not the best episode. But yeah, and uh, I realized that. So there, there are there are a couple mentions of Dax's gender, but Cor is consistently the awesomest because you know Kang is saying like basically you're not the same Dax, and Dax says, I hope one day you will embrace me as a brother again. And Koloth goes, brother! Aww. Ha! And Kor goes, brother, sister, what's the difference? We're here now. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. Kor. Bros, 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 bros. <laughs> and they've got some specific roles that all three of them were in, in there to fill, aside from the throwback to the original series, correct? Yeah. I mean, the, the episode was originally written to just be some random Klingons, and it was going, I mean, you can sort of see there's some similarities to The Magnificent Seven in there. Um, it was written to be one of those types of stories, but then they had the idea, well, let's, you know, b- retrieve some of the most popular Klingons from the original series. And so they do have carved out roles, I think, more distinctly than their roles in the original series for, at least for Kang and, and Koloth. And their roles have changed because they're, they aged and they underwent this loss of their sons due to the albino's weird, dishonorable genetic virus. With the connection to The Magnificent Seven, this story really does work as a very good Western pastiche, but in space. I mean, you see that so strongly just in the opening scene of Grizzled Old Warrior finds another Grizzled Old Warrior locked up, and a third Grizzled Old Warrior's (laughs) gotta bust him out for revenge. Yeah, Peter Allen Fields, um, the writer of the episode, and according to the Deep Space Nine companion, said that Koloth was modeled after the character Brit and Kang after Yul Brenner's character. And then Kor was based on Shakespeare's Falstaff. Because there's always got to be a Falstaff. Be- well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, man. Falstaff yeah. is the best. <laughs> well, and John, is it Colicos? How you say his last name? Who played Kor? That would Colicos? be... Colicos? He's a Calico? <laughs> Uh, okay, we're gonna go with John Col- Colicos. Colicos? John Colicos. Colicost Guard. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, he was concerned uh, because he read the initial scenes and he's like, what? Core's not a buffoon. This guy just seems like a drunk who's like, this isn't like Core at all. If you want me to play Core, I should play Core. And they said, but you know, you uh you start out like that but you're more like a false staff and at the end of the day you're going to end up being more of a hero character mm-hmm. yeah and he had uh i think the most input into the script and the ending well that kind of gives the character a bigger arc then doesn't it going from you know young klingon at his prime to guy who's just kind of like eh, it is what it is let's get drunk to guy who is the big hero at the end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not a lot of people get that big of an arc in full seasons, much less in two episodes. Yeah. And if I can uh, bring it back really quickly to that uh, Magnificent Seven thing again, it also, the story also works on another level then as a throwback to the old samurai honor-based concepts that get pulled Mm -hmm. into the Klingons a lot and the basis of Magnificent Seven being the Seven Samurai. It works on multiple levels as a Klingon story, a Western story, and an old school samurai revenge story i mean even them mm-hmm. coming at the end to attack this outsider in his big scary 
house fortress in the middle of nowhere. That feels so very Kurosawa. Which is actually also, it's a Frank Lloyd Wright house, which is kind of funny. I know, right? <laughs> You're like the uh, the albino, which by the way, I hate that. Yeah, that's messed up. That's not cool. Um, it's not cool that people are all like, yeah, we all just call him the albino. And like, this has been centuries and no one ever thought to find out his name. And it was just co- totally cool to refer to him by his skin color. So two things. Yeah. Is he intended to be Klingon? I thought so. Yeah. I thought that the, like, bone structure, if you can even say that in the makeup, made him look different. I just kind of assumed, you know, if you've got a bunch of Klingons going after you with a massive vendetta, usually you're bro- you're another Klingon. Hmm. I mean, there's there's vendetta from Klingons, and then there's Klingon on Klingon vendetta levels. But there's also apparently a fan theory that Vok mm. is the albino. I love that theory. Yeah. Or they're somehow, you know, one is a descendant of the other. Mm-hmm. Again, more fun you could have in an expanded universe. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I always assumed he was a Klingon because he has bumps on his head. But I'm reading that um, the script just described him as an all-white humanoid in good physical shape for a man of 100. Well, in that case, we don't know if he's an albino. He could just be real pale. But we do know he's a hundred. He's real old and real pale. <laughs> he calls Klingons filth and scum in the episode. Okay, so he's old and a racist, so not a great guy. Yeah, and like, I mean, it would seem weird and like certainly dishonorable for a Klingon to kill like the way that he killed these guys' sons. Well, and also they they were mad at him in the first place because he attacked Klingon outposts. Mm-hmm. So it seems... I assumed not Klingon. I can't believe he's not a Klingon. We've got Klingon light. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Um, But yeah, (laughs) like, but I mean, like, you know, there are real stereotypes and stigma about albinism. Absolutely. And to be like, make this like shady villain called the albino, I guess, you know, non-shady villain called the albino. And for everyone to just be like calling him that the whole time, it's like, I'm sure he has a name. I don't know. In my review, I started just calling him Steve because I was really uncomfortable with it. That works. I have the same issue with the Princess Bride, especially considering there are still uh, supposedly large amounts of cultures where there is massive stigma and your safety is in jeopardy from being born albino. And to say Mm -hmm. nothing of the social stigma and all of the bullshit that you probably have to put up with even being an albino here in the US. Mm -hmm. And not to mention... The Da Vinci Code, which oh there are gosh. multiple problems with the Da Vinci Code. Yeah. One of which is yet another villain with albinism. Guys, can we just yeah. kind of put the kibosh on people who look different being automatically evil or that being some kind of horrifying indicator of their malevolence? It's, yeah, that's really great. old, guys. It's messed up and uncreative. So we've got this deep space racist living in a Frank Lloyd Wright house that a bunch of Klingons, one of whom is Falstaff, are coming after. <laughs> that just that just gives you so much to work with. Well, and um, I want to jump back briefly to another scene that I love, which is the scene where Dax spars with Koloth on the <gasps> yes. holodeck. That's also just great. This is one of the first times we get to see it established that Dax is really into Klingon culture, and this is a really big part of Dax's personal, I want to say belief system, but that's not quite right. It's kind of Dax's adopted culture outside of being a trill. Mm -hmm. It's just like, it's super impressive the way that she 
uses both physical and emotional and like psychological skills to convince these three grizzled Klingons to let her come on the mission. Well, that's part of that's part of what makes you believe that that's how it would work is Dax's trillness. The fact that she's got lifetimes worth of experience. She she has all of her HP up for do for coercing and for brawling as needed. Well, and you mm-hmm. can see how she treats each one of them differently. Yeah. She knows exactly what she has to do to gain their trust. And it's different for each one of them. Mm-hmm. I I particularly like the message that when she finally convinces Kang, she says, you dishonor yourself, Kang, by placing your own honor above mine. Because basically he, you know, she's saying, it's dishonoring me to not let me come and fulfill this oath. And he's like, well, it dishonors me to, um, like, put you at risk. And, but, like, her message is basically, if you fail to see others as equals, then it dishonors you, which I love. <laughs> Yeah, you shut yourself off by refusing to he- to take the input of someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cisco doesn't so much agree. Cisco, Cisco, Cisco. This is his stance in this episode is one where I feel like if it had been a different writer, he, we would have gotten a completely different response from Cisco. It just kind of seemed unusual to me. Did anyone else get that? Mm, so it it actually the only reason I found it unusual is that it's much laxer than Picard's response to Worf when he's like, <laughs> I want to go off and fight Klingon Civil War. And he's just like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. Donuts, donuts. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, I find that a lot more unbelievable than Cisco not wanting Dax to go. I mean, he knows she's going on a dangerous mission. It's not really super officially sanctioned. She might die. She might get other people killed. He doesn't believe in the trail thing, like that she should have to carry on that but she's just like, you know what? I've had enough of explaining myself to dudes today. Yep. <laughs> I am all mansplained out. I'm going to space. Although she's technically already in space, isn't she? She's going to another part of space. Yes. Spacing out. Frank Lloyd Wright has space. Yeah. The Frank Lloyd space. <laughs> so, I mean, and it's around this time that we sort of find out that Kang has been kind of lying. And he he knows that this is kind of a death mission for them. And he actually kind of made a deal with the albino to for them to all come to his house and, well, like, possibly have fair combat, but likely not because the Steve, the albino Steve, can't be trusted. Steve Whiteberg. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's better. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that was, I don't know, I I thought that was like really kind of haunting and a bit like sad, but it was cool how Dax lectures him for like, you might get these other guys to go along with you out of loyalty, but I'm not that stupid. And like, you can make a better plan than this. Or maybe I can make a better plan than this. It's also really interesting to go back and watch the earlier points of the episode where Dax is like trying to convince them to let her come along and they're pushing back knowing that one of at least one of them has an idea that there's no coming back from this Mm -hmm. i think it's an interesting aspect of klingon culture in a way because we know from what we know about klingons that the only honorable death is dying in battle Mm -hmm. right so you've got these three klingons who are all great friends and they swore this blood oath together and they're all getting up there in age we don't know how long klingons would live naturally but they're clearly older. And it's almost like a suicide pact in a way 
now that he's made this deal with the albino. He's like, all right, so that we die honorable deaths, let's go and take care of this thing we said we were going to do. And then we're fulfilling everything we need to before we die. It kind of makes you wonder if that's a standard practice in Klingon culture. If just sending grandpa out into the wilderness when there's a bunch, when it's wild boar season versus letting him die in a convalescent home or something, if that's how they, they culturally decide to do it. Makes you wonder. I mean, they even say that, that, you know, it's too bad that Curzon didn't die an admirable death or an honorable death because he was in the hospital when he died. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, speaking of Curzon, that, it becomes pretty clear pretty quick that Dax is more than just, like, Curzon 2.0. Mm-hmm. Well, we as the audience knew that, too. Yeah, but, like, the the plan would have been a suicide mission for everyone had it been yeah. Curzon. But because Jadzia has all this ex- science experience, she can science her way out of it. Science. <laughs> <laughs> that is, again, the beauty of Dax as a character, getting to have all those different layers of being an individual, but also all that past experience. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which definitely makes this a top Dax episode for me, at least. Yeah. So then we're at Steve's compound. Steve's high concept compound. <laughs> yes. Which Jetsia has, you know, got all the sentries to have their phasers not working and set off a bomb or set off the bomb that that Steve set for them as a trap. Mm-hmm. Did he really, though? Or is he just at a point where he's 100 years old, really racist, and just has booby traps all over his yard? <laughs> also possible. I'm just saying. Well, and you, I mean, just back to the age thing again, you could assume that the Klingons are about the same age as, as Steve. Right. This whole episode is just an old man fight. <laughs> yeah, but so much more. It's not just like, what were those movies with... Like Helen Mirren and Red, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Red Klingons. It also kind of reminds me of the Discworld character Cohen the Barbarian. Oh my gosh, not yes. Cohen, Cohen, <laughs> and they they get the horde together and go on this like one final mission. You guys, you guys, I'm gonna pitch an idea to you here. Yeah, Klingon Expendables. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what this was, only way more poignant. But could we get Randy Couture in Klingon makeup, is my question. Mm. Mm? I think that they should make one when there are more of the TNG era Klingons that are of that age. Oh, yeah. Um, so that we could also have the Jura sisters, which I know they're technically dead, but let's unkill them. Does anyone actually believe they're dead? You guys. You guys. <laughs> Jura sisters, golden girls. Yes! Thank you for being a comrade! (laughs) Maybe uh, if we have to have four of them, we could throw in, what, like, Grilka and... Kalar. Bring back Kalar. Just bring back Kalar! As long as we're undeading people. Bring them all back. Yeah. And if you threw a hunting party... So much sass there would be between <laughs> Kalar and the Duras sisters and Grilka. It would just, that, yeah, it would be perfect, really. I feel like Kalar would be Sophia. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. She would be Dorothy because then we could have Worf show up as her stan. Mm. Just constantly showing up like, Kalar, take me back. <laughs> I think it's between Dorothy and Lursa who has the best eyebrow raise. Oh, yeah. Guys, we could just do an entire episode on this forever, and I'd be happy. <laughs> we don't have a um, 
rose, though, <laughs> that just doesn't exist in Klingon. <laughs> I feel like we could make it happen. <laughs> Anywho, um, so Koloff dies. Is sad. It's all, you know, dramatic and pivotal and shows his full arc and all that. And and much, um, there is much fun battle scenes and Dax kicking butt with a batleth. Can I talk about the batleth for a second? Absolutely. Yep. And the fight and the holosuite and like how you really shouldn't attempt to spin a batleth like it's a staff because it just looks ridiculous. It does. And it's like, why would you use your energy doing that if you're in the middle of a battle? Like, let's step back and twirl our ballast for a bit. Are we really going to question how overdramatic and ridiculous Klingons are being? No, but like stage combat with the staff, which is a thing I do, is you can do spins that look really great and actually don't take up that much effort because of the momentum of the staff. Maybe it's like the kilt. They're trying to blind their enemy with doofiness. Well, the Batleth is curved away from you, and your your grips are separate, so you can't slide mm-hmm. your hands along it. So, like, you can't really spin it, and then they, like, try and spin it around themselves without changing their hands. And it's just, like, you see this one section where Jedzia is just, like, swaying with the Batleth, and it looks ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely noticed that in the holodeck section. It looks um, a little awkward, the fact that you have to, like, swing it around and you have to use two hands to do all of this stuff. And it's like, why would you be, take like, making your grip less sure at a moment when your opponent could come at you? Yeah. Do you think there was a point in the history of Klingon martial arts where there was a guy who realized, hey, guys, I found a way we can do this that won't be totally dangerous and totally doofy. And they all just slapped the batleth out of his hands were like, no, this is how we do it. This is the Klingon way. Twirl. I mean, it's a great weapon. It's basically a giant serrated knife. Yeah. But like, Mm -hmm. there's got to be a better way to fight with it. Mm-hmm. Twirl on all your enemies. I'm yelling a lot this episode. Yeah, well, you know, you got kind of got to. You're carrying the the Klingon torch for all of us here. <laughs> Kapla. Core is like slightly wounded, and then Steve and Kang, which is like clearly this is the ultimate confrontation because Kang's son was Dax's godson named Dax, Aww. little Dax Junior. <laughs> And uh, Steve mortally wounds Kang and is, like, basically standing over him gloating like all good evil villains. Like you do. When Jadzia disarms him and holds her batleth to his throat. And then he's basically like, oh, who's this little girl? You're a little girl. Not not exactly, but that's the subtext. <laughs> like, you couldn't possibly kill me, my dear. I like how he's turning into a wicked witch here also. <laughs> I'm pretty. You've come to my house in the woods. I'm Steve Whiteman. <laughs> You're far too young and lovely to sport such a deadly weapon. Dax is like, not a, not today, punk. Yeah, except for it's it's a really neat poetic closure that she she's totally ready to kill him but kang is the one who stabs him through the abdomen and uh from behind while he's preoccupied with dax and so kang is you know says thank you for saving the death blow for me you have honored me one last time godfather to my son which is 
awesome. See, I read it as she's not totally ready to kill him. Yeah, that's, I mean, and that is sort of, so, sorry, what I meant was she, I think she hesitates momentarily. For sure. And in yeah. that hesitation, Kang acts. And so when Kang thanks her, I think that that is him sort of being nice. He's saving her honor. Yeah. And, um, and she didn't have to kill, well, I don't know if she didn't kill anyone during that whole thing, but she didn't kill Steve. Also, this way she can go back to Deep Space Nine and Cisco can be like, you didn't kill anyone, did you? She can be like, no. But I think she would have. I think if, like, I think if Kang hadn't stabbed him through the stomach, she would have done it. She's definitely an accessory. Oh, totally. But can you blame her? Yes. And then instead of the Klingon death scream, we have some core singing, which is very sweet. It's no, <laughs> you know, I think I prefer this to the off kilter screaming. Are you sure? <laughs> Can you scream more rhythmically? No. <laughs> then no. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not ready to be a Klingon either singer or screamer. They're kind of really. interchangeable in a way. Yeah, that's true. I can imagine. Um, I, I mean, our local Klingon club is always trying to uh, get us to learn the Klingon drinking song. And I just kind of mumble it. I'm like, It sounds like you're eating Weedabix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's the closest I can get to Klingon. And apologies to all of the Klingon fans who do a way better job than me. I am disappointed every time I hear Klingon singing that isn't thrash metal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, like the band Stovacore? Exactly. That is my jam. And then Dax goes back to the station and gets some meaningful looks, but nothing else. Like, no one talks to her, which is kind of nice. It's just, it's like all about her. Pretty sure when you have a friend who's like, hey, I gotta go on this vengeance mission, and then they come back, you, even if you want to say something, there's gotta be someone in the group to be like, no, give them a minute. Give her a minute. Let the, let them mm-hmm. let them decompress post vengeance mission. I think the Cisco disapproving look says more yeah. than his words ever could. That's true. And Kira's kind of like a mix of concerned about her and you know wanting to know what happened. This gr- this episode with with what little it does does so much with uh the relationships between a bunch of the crew and with mm-hmm. Dax. Again, top one of my top Dax episodes because of that. I think it's one of my top DS9 episodes. Definitely one of my top Klingon episodes. Yeah, for sure. It's not like it's not my all-time favorite Deep Space Nine episode, but definitely my favorite Dax episode. One of my favorite Klingon episodes for sure. I also didn't mention that um, when we were talking about earlier how uh, John Colicos had input into the script. So the input he had on the end was basically, well, then, you know, I better be the Ishmael who lives to tell the story. And so that's why Kor got to be... The one who lives. Oh, God, I just got it. The the albino is a white whale. Oh, oh son of a... <laughs> no. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. Steve White Whale. Okay. <laughs> Steve White Whale of the West Coast White Whales. He's a Cadillac salesman. Huh. <sighs> Oh, Star Trek. Well, I mean, I feel like if uh, it ends up being Vok, hopefully that will... I mean, I don't know what that would really mean. If it ends up being Vok, that just means we have to have Kurzon or an earlier iteration of Dax show up. Yes. Just like to that, run by in the I'm background, slap him across the back of the head and run right, right off. Yeah. 
For sure. I would be totally down with that. That sounds awesome. I will accept no less. I feel like we discussed this the last time we talked about Trill, but when did they join the Federation? That's a good question. Oh, Do we have that I can't remember what we said last time. Because it would totally be feasible for an earlier host of Dax to show up in Discovery. <laughs> well, we do establish that Dax was in... Again, an earlier host of Dax was hanging around the Federation, at least for, you know, gymnastics competitions and, you know, <laughs> right. hooking up with McCoy. Well, and I mean, so Curzon was supposed to be a Federation diplomat, um, but I guess Emini was the, supposed to be before Curzon. Yeah. Because that was the one who was interested in McCoy. McCoy was interested in her. But I mean, I don't know when Curzon became a diplomat or how young he was when that happened. The point is that the possibility is definitely there. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like to be a Federation diplomat, you maybe had to be in the Federation for a little while, mm-hmm. but I may be wrong. Well, it goes Layla, Tobin, Emini, Audrid, Tarias, Juran, Curzon, and then Jadzia. And Sneezy. Wow. There were a lot of hosts in between. Yeah, I'm thinking that between Emini and, and well, Curzon. Huh. Well, then it must have been later, like, more um, during – because if – I mean, if it was Klingon Federation peace talks, then it must have been more around, like, Star Trek VI that Curzon was a diplomat. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine that? Curzon just kind of showing up in uh, Star Trek VI. (laughs) Again, just in the background, eating a sandwich or something. Yeah. Sounds good. (laughs) This is such a great episode. I think it, it like, sends just a lot of really good messages um, in terms of not letting, you know, being a young woman, being able to not let other people crush you with low expectations or not letting them underestimate you and also just, you know, not uh, aligning expectations with age or gender. I know. And that's part of what I love about the different layers in which this episode works, because then you get to see cool space opera battle. You get to see cowboy story, samurai revenge story, and you get to see all three of them with a woman at the forefront. And that's awesome. And it's especially awesome if you're looking at it through the the trill as a metaphor for being trans lens, because then we get to have a trans woman at the front of all of this, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's powerful that Kang's like last words is to basically reinforce, you are the godfather of my son. Um, Lydia did have a comment on Facebook saying, the one thing I find frustrating in this era of television is the conflict being resolved by the end of the episode. I think this would have been a great episode to have consequences carry over. There could have been several plot points explored further, like PTSD and how Dax's choice to go through with it affected her close relationship with Cisco. Oh, absolutely. That would have been really cool to see that play out further. But again, that's the problem we have with Star Trek kind of over and over again being sold as episodic. We don't get to do that so much. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I I agree with that point fairly often when I'm rewatching these episodes, but I wouldn't say that this is an episode. I think I would feel, you know, if we came out of this, it's not like a happy ending, no. but it feels like a a resolved ending. It's not a clean ending, but it's an ending. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind necessarily seeing her, how it changed her relationship with Cisco, um, and we... We see Cisco take the same approach to her in the episode Dax as well, where it's like, basically, save yourself, stop protecting Curzon. Imagine how hard that must be, though, to have someone who you really care about tell you to just take an aspect of yourself and throw it under the bus. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how I would have felt about Dax having PTSD as a result of this. I mean, it's certainly absolutely 100% possible. And I don't mean to like minimize the possibility at all. I just, I think that the episode was sending a message about, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to say it really. I'm just, I guess I just um love how you can admire what Dax is doing. And maybe that's naive to think like there wouldn't be longer term consequences, but it is a nice episode with like a, a strong adventure story and a pretty clean ending. And I don't see it as being like the most difficult thing that people went through on Deep Space Nine. In the grand gamut of stuff that the characters have gone through, this isn't the farthest up the deep end. But it might be at this point in the series. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally with the benefit of hindsight that I'm seeing this, (laughs) being like, well, if we did it for this episode, then we would be doing this for, like, that, well, I mean, it would have fundamentally changed the character of the entire series. That would have been a lot of trauma by the end. I mean, you've got a lot in this story, in this, like, the thing that's on the surface, this sort of, like, adventure story. Mm -hmm. You've got this moral dilemma, you've got, you know, what obligations does Dax have whether or not they're legal, but what obligations does she feel she has? What does, where does loyalty play into all of this with this group of Klingons? What does it mean to seek revenge? And is that something that she should be doing? Is that something that any of them should be doing? And does it actually matter that they come from different cultures? That the Klingons have one thing in their culture that the Trill have something else in theirs and that they're serving on a Federation station, which seems to just have human culture in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it's difficult. I Yeah, so I, I'm definitely, um, I think that's a totally fair point from um, our listener. I think, I think if DS9 um, had had a counselor pre-Esri, that that also could have been an opportunity to explore those things in a way that didn't, you know, become like the overarching plot for like a a long arc of episodes. I don't know that it could have necessarily sustained that, but that you could have had moments seeing Dax grappling with these things while you were still proceeding with the other story. But, you know, we've talked a bit about the (laughs) issue of counselors on Star Trek before. Yeah, there's some stuff to go through there. Yeah, there's almost always more opportunity in Star Trek to explore characters' mental health, and uh, almost every episode is a missed opportunity, so um, in one way or another. But yeah, I mean, overall, yeah, I wouldn't say that this episode sends like the world's best message about violence, <laughs> um, but uh, it is a, uh, I think, a, a powerful episode uh, in terms of its messages, just about like women's capability and. Sciencing. It is a powerful episode and a ripper are in good time. Yeah. Are we ready to rate it? Absolutely. I give it four out of five Klingon Batleth twirls. <laughs> I'm going to give this five out of five Klingon Golden Girls. We'll have to find a fifth Klingon to stick <laughs> into there to make there be five. But I'm sure we can dig one up, like Bolana's mom or something. <laughs> I am next to positive we can make this happen. Yeah. Oh, my. I'll, I guess I just have to go easy because all the good ones are taken. Nine out of ten jugs of blood wine. Nice. That's good vengeance.
But as a quick side note, there is a novel uh, called Forged in Fire that is somewhat of a prequel to this episode, which gives more insight to the background of Steve White Whale, um, mm-hmm. who is actually apparently named Kah, Q-A-G-H. It's Klingon for Steve. Yes, Klingon for Steve. <laughs> it's like Rachel and Raquel. But it also apparently explores Curzon's relationship with the Klingons. And Ooh. according to Keith DeCandido in his review on Tor.com, it explains not only why these original series Klingons now have forehead ridges, but how all Klingons came to have forehead ridges again. Ah, which may now be non-canon since Enterprise and possible further discovery changes, right, but we do not but- know. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's sure. still super interesting. And I know the actors were surprised that they were going to give them the forehead ridges. They're like, this is what Klingons look like now. Yeah, I th- apparently somebody told them they like aged into it. And it was yeah. part of what happens when Klingons get older. <laughs> I like that idea a lot, actually. That like the longer you live and the more you see, the more grizzled and gnarled and intensely battle looking you look. Craggy forehead. Yeah. You earned that forehead. Well, any final thoughts before we wrap up, folks? Thank you for being up talk! (laughs) (laughs) Today is a good day to conclude a podcast episode. And a good day to make cheesecake. Wow. The cheesecake is probably full of blood! Oh my gosh! (laughs) You thought it was just strawberry sauce. No! I don't even know what that means. (laughs) I don't know, but I think we can end it there. (laughs) Where can people find you online, Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Speltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And where can people find you, Jarrah? You can find me at Jara Penguin. That's J A R R A H Penguin on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at Bonecrusher Jank. And if you'd like to contact our show, you can do so by emailing crew at womenatwarp.com. You can also leave a comment on our website, womenatwarp.com, or our Facebook, facebook.com slash womenatwarp, or our Twitter at Women at Warp. And again, if you can leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, that is a great way for other people to find our show. So thank you for taking a minute to do that. And thank you so much for listening. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, you can visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Mm-hmm.